If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. Start your day tomorrow with the Daily Dog with Michelle Forto. The morning podcast on Dog Works Radio. Apple podcast reviewer Patty Christensen calls it funny, smart, and filled with all the info I want to know about dogs. I love this show. Wake up with the Daily Dog. Available on Dog Works Radio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. Radio Free Palmer is our live streaming site, and you can find us over on Apple Podcasts. Just search for DogWorks Radio. We're also at DogWorksRadio.com and all the social media profiles, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Again, just search for DogWorks Radio. And calling in from California is our co-host, Alex Stein. Alex, how are you tonight? I'm doing I'm doing very well, Robert. We have we have a lot of news today, and uh, you know it's been it's been a very busy and sometimes confusing couple weeks in in terms of uh, mushing fans and Iditarod in particular. And uh, you know it's I, I said last week or possibly the week before. There's the old curse: may you live in interesting times, and these certainly are. Very interesting, and I think going to be very challenging times for Iditarod. You know, Alex, I have been involved with mushing for 23 years. And granted, much of that time was way before the advent of social media and instant 24-hour news, way before YouTube, way before uh, social commentary, way before a lot of online finger pointing, and I will tell you right now that I have never seen the amount of positive and negative commenting and and praise and vitriol as we've seen over the last couple of weeks regarding the sports that you and I love to talk about here on our show, and it's just going to be a very interesting after after a couple of weeks here, and it's going to be an interesting evening tonight. And before we get started, I definitely want to preface this by saying we do not want to just give our opinions on this show. We want to talk about this from a a musher's perspective and a fan's perspective and try our best to give an analysis based on what we know from the last couple of weeks and more importantly in the last 24 hours and go from that. And with that, 
Alex is going to start us off, and then we'll jump into some conversation. Go ahead, Alex. Right. So as most listeners know, there was a couple weeks ago the Iditarod announced that there had been a positive test, a positive drug test um, for several dogs on one of the teams. They didn't announce where the test had initially. They didn't announce where the test had been performed. They didn't announce which team it was. And coupled with that was a change in the rules about how uh, what would happen if there was a positive drug test. Uh, the way the rules had been written before, basically in order for any action to be taken against a musher, the ITC would need to be able to prove that there was the intent to use a prohibited substance. Um, since then, we've, we've had a lot of information that's come out at first uh, slowly and then uh, the big revelation in the past uh, 24 hours or so. Um, and first there was the revelation that it was um, this particular um, pain reliever, which is a, a uh, considered, a, I believe, a class 4 opioid, um, or, or maybe not an opioid, but a, but a class four prohibited uh, prohibited um, chemical, and then it was there was a, an anonymous letter from the musher who was involved, who referred to himself as Musher X, that was leaked to the press, and the Musher X basically threatened that he would go, he or she would go public. Um, within 72 hours if the Iditarod didn't release the name and everything they knew. So in light of that, the Iditarod Trail Committee announced yesterday that Musher X, the musher who had the um, positive drug test on dogs on his team, was Dallas Seavey. And this, is, this sort of sent shockwaves throughout the mushing community. It was, it was one of those things where... You and I talked about it briefly, and, and we both felt that uh, this was very unexpected. And, and uh, you know, I think that there were a lot of suspicions and rumors flying around, and we, we both had ideas for who it would be. And I don't think either one of us seriously entertained the idea that it would be Dallas Seavey. Um, so then, shortly after that, Dallas released a very long a statement on YouTube that was edited in a, in a few places, but he basically said that um, he denied ever having given any prohibited substances to any of his dogs. He denied ever having administered this, uh, this substance to any dogs. He said that he had heard from um, the, the race marshal, Mark Nordman, uh, that the that the test had come up positive and had had several conversations with uh, Mark Nordman, who, who at first had said to him, is there any possibility that this could have happened accidentally, that it could have been a handler who, who, uh, who gave him the drug in the dog lot in Nome, uh, and, and basically was, it seems, looking for a way that they could explain this or, or have it have it be something that would go away quickly. And Dallas said, no, this, that, that didn't happen. I checked with my people, and, and there's, there's no way that that was it. And uh, I, I think it was something else. And, and um, then because of the way the rules were written, 
Mark Nordman said, well, okay, well, there's, there's nothing that we can do about this. Uh, Dallas subsequently said in his video that he released that he felt like the ITC was releasing information in dribs and drabs that pointed to him. Uh, they, he also said that he had been assured that he was completely cleared by the ITC and then was shocked when this announcement was made a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. He said in his statement that he believed that uh, the ITC was, was targeting him, that he had been the, uh, the musher who was chosen to deliver to the ITC board um, the petition of mushers who were opposed to having two-way communications used. And after he submitted that to the board, uh, he was told that they were not going to do anything about that. And then they banned the use of trailers, uh, which he believed was a direct attack on him since he was uh, the most prominent musher who used trailers and really has made that into part of his training and part of how he works with his dogs and runs the race. So he felt like he was being targeted. He then felt like because of uh, some of the information that was released by the ITC, specifically that uh, the musher whose dogs had tested positive had requested a delay so that additional blood tests could be run on his dogs. And Dallas says he was the only musher who had drug tests, who had additional blood tests run after the race which is uh, something he says he spent thousands of dollars doing because he's trying to uh, study how, how quickly certain levels um, come up in the dog. So in other words, how quickly the dogs are recovering after having uh, a huge, after running a huge race. So he felt that because they were releasing those pieces of information that that would lead people to conclude that it was him. Um, and he has very adamantly maintained that he is completely innocent, that there is something else going on. Uh, he also had, a, had an interview with uh, KTVA that's online as well, um, where he talked about how it's possible that um, another competitor – had sabotaged his dog team, had either given his dog team this drug or uh, somehow spiked the dog team's food. Um, he also talked in his video about how the, the drop bags for the dogs are, are left unattended and the Iditarod had been told that this was an issue and they needed to put up security cameras in some of the checkpoints around the drop bags, but they didn't want to do that because it was a, um, because it was a cost issue. So what we're left with is, and Dallas has uh, withdrawn from the 2018 race. Uh, so what we're left with is basically Dallas CV declaring war on the Iditarod Trail Committee. And he has announced that he is not only not going to run the race in 2018, but he is not going to run the race again until the current board is replaced. 
uh, until the people who are running the race and making the decisions are replaced. And he's described it, uh, the the board and the way the ITC is run, as being a kind of old boys club uh, that is not, um, at least in this instance, instance, is not on his side. So what we're left with is basically three possibilities, none of which are good and none of which will make anyone who's a fan of the sport happy. The first possibility is that Dallas CV cheated. Um, that's something that most of us who who have followed the sport, who have had any contact with Dallas, do not want to believe. Uh, in general, with I've, I've had limited dealings with him, but in general my dealings with him have been very positive. He seems like he has a lot of integrity. He is someone who is who is devoted to the sport. He's someone who spent the last at least 10, 12, 14 years of his life really pouring his heart and soul into dog mushing. Uh, the second possibility is that the Iditarod Trail Committee is trying, is actively trying to sabotage Dallas CV. Um, and certainly that's not something that anyone wants to think is true either. Uh, it, also doesn't entirely make a lot of sense because Dallas Seavey is, you know, as someone who has won four races and is only 30 years old, is really kind of the poster boy for Iditarod right now. He is someone who is routinely pointed to as being, uh, you know, the future of the race. We've talked about him a lot. We've talked about how this is someone who could, uh, you know, definitely be a force in Iditarod for decades, if not someone who would be dominant and always be, uh, you know, up there in the top five or going for the win for possibly decades. So that doesn't make that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, uh, and and I don't think that's anything anyone wants to think is true. And the other possibility is that someone has someone either another musher or someone from outside the race has drugged the dog of Dallas Seavey in, uh, in order to humiliate him, in order to make him look bad, or in order to make the Iditarod look bad. And that is also something that I don't think any of us want to believe. Uh, certainly we've seen strange things happen um, in, the, in the Iditarod and in life, but that seems unlikely uh, for a number of reasons, although it is true that the drop bags are shipped out and are kept uh, out in the open in most of the checkpoints. These, the drop bags with food, generally the food is frozen and it's, it's kept frozen so that there will be no spoilage. So someone in, it would be difficult to inject uh, you know, a substance into frozen food. It's not impossible, but it, it, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot more complicated than just sneaking up to the bag. So, uh, you know, people have said, well, maybe it was one of the other mushers who doesn't like Dallas, and Dallas uh, in his video talked a lot about how there are a lot of different mushers who don't like him and, and, and uh, you know, people who might want to be trying to take him down. Um, so that that is a possibility. It's not a possibility I like. And the other possibility is that it's 
an animal rights activist who would try to come up to Alaska and go to one of these remote checkpoints and um, and try to you know inject something into Dallas's drop bags with food uh, because of because we know now that the drug test happened in Nome and because of the 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 speed at which this particular drug um, exits the dog systems, we know that it would have to either have been administered in White Mountain, uh, somewhere along the trail, or in Nome. Um, and I I know that the the dog lot in Nome is is policed. You know there there is there are there are guards, there are volunteers, so it is it is it's not easy to get into it's certainly possible to get into because it's not it's not a high security thing there aren't armed guards there 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 isn't a policeman there um it's possible that this could have happened at white mountain but white mountain is a pretty highly trafficked area because there's a mandatory rest there there is often a lot of media around so that would that would seem to be more difficult although if you were going to do it somewhere it would probably be a lot easier to do it at White Mountain than to do it at in Nome. So I'm I'm left with these three possibilities, none of which I like, and I am I'm not really sure what to think about this other than it's a very sad time for Iditarod. It seems like it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm hoping that. That there will be some some big improvements. That they'll improve security. That they'll you know do everything they can so that the the integrity of the of the food drops and the and all of that is is improved. But this is this is a very big black mark on mushing and on Iditarod at a time when there when the sport is already under threat. So, Alex, you laid out your three uh, possibilities, and you said all of them uh, you do not like. So what is your thought about what happened? Um, number one, did, do you think that he cheated? Number two, do you think that it was a lack of security or um, other people were out to get him? Or number three, uh, somebody sabotaged him. And I, I know you and I have talked a lot about this, and we want to make sure that we're not just casting opinions, but through all of your reading, all of your research, all of your dealings with this as a very, I would like to say, very educated fan, much more so than probably a lot of casual fans that just may watch it uh, online during the, you know, the month of March when race is happening. What are your thoughts on this as a fan? And more importantly, how do we move forward from this? Because, like you said, it's not getting any easier, and it probably won't for some time to come. Well, you know, I first of all, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, cast aspersions without having all of the information. And I think there's probably a lot more information that can come out that has not yet come out. Uh, Dallas Seavey is a smart guy. He's a savvy guy. He knows, he knows how to use media. He knows a, a, an 
awful lot about the uh, about the sport and about dogs. Um, and I think that he is someone who is always trying to uh, to push the envelope in terms of getting getting the the best performance that he can get out of his dogs and finding new ways to uh, to look at training and to look at, at running the race and certainly the the um, innovation of having the dogs rest more having the the trailers where they can rest during the race is something that has has changed the race uh, considerably and not necessarily in a way that everybody likes it it doesn't seem reasonable to me that he would uh, that he would have drugged his dogs, his own dogs, knowing that he would be drug tested in Nome. Uh, it it does not seem reasonable to me that the that the ITC to to target him or get him. Uh, you know, Dallas said in his video that the ITC that he felt like the ITC was against him. But on the other hand, we talked a lot about how Dallas left his vet book in, uh, I believe in safety. And that's a, that's a required, um, that's a required thing that you have to have with you at all times. Um, it was then brought to Nome by the third place finisher, um, Nick Pettit, I believe, who gave it to Dallas and the, and the judges and the and the race marshal kind of uh, did they they opted not to penalize Dallas at all, and they said that it wasn't a big deal. So that's not something you do if you are trying to target someone, or if you are if someone is on your your bad list and you're trying to you know make an example of them. Uh, so that doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, the the sabotage by an outside third party it seems like there's so much that would have to fall into place to make that to make that work and to make that possible that that doesn't make sense either so I'm I'm you know I'm I'm forced to choose between the ITC targeting Dallas CV which is not something that I that I like or that seems plausible and Dallas cheating, which is not something I ever would have imagined that I would think was was even a possibility. Okay, my thoughts on this, and you had uh, touched on them briefly, and I'm just going to try to give uh, kind of a quick uh, part on each one of them. First off, uh, the security at the checkpoints and the security in Nome in particular uh, you talked about it may be easier to do it at White Mountain. White Mountain is only accessible, really, for fans by plane or a very long snow machine ride. So I don't think that that would be a possibility to sabotage someone in White Mountain, at least from a fan's perspective or an animal rights member's perspective. That's, that's a heck of a long ways out of the way to do something like that. Secondly, in regards to security at checkpoints, for folks that don't uh, follow mushing very closely, uh, when we talk about security, we're talking about volunteers. We're talking about 
you know, a retiree from Iowa that flew up to Alaska a week before Iditarod started. They gave him a badge of a lanyard that said security, and he is the security for the checkpoint or for the, you know, the road crossing or whatever. And limited training for these folks. Maybe they're retired cops or security guards or whatever, but I, I highly, highly doubt that they are, you know, boots on the ground, military or cops that are that are in charge of security for this. Another uh, item in regards to security, especially at the restart in Willow, all that is separating the uh, sort of the pen for the mushers and thousands of uh, spectators along the lake is just that really flimsy, cheap, orange construction fencing. And pretty much anybody could uh, find their way over that if they needed to be. Uh, remember, there's 80 teams on a lake, and it's hubbub activity. It would not be very difficult to work your way into that. And another very easy way is to have one of the armbands that they give out to not only the volunteers, or mainly for the handlers and for the mushers. And that's, I think they give out 10 per team. And those are passed around to handlers and family and, you know, such and such. And it's not very difficult to hand one of those off and allow somebody to come in. So if there was some nefarious activity going on from one team to another, it would not be very difficult for a perpetrator to get into either the start, the restart, Gnome, just about anywhere that they had one of those badges. In regards to security at checkpoints, I would like to point out, and I'm going to try to pull up a picture of this, put it on our show notes page, of the checkpoint last year in Nenana, where they had, I don't know how many people stopped there, how many mushers stopped there, but let's say 50 teams were spread out across a river, uh, maybe a quarter of a mile wide or so. I mean, a very wide river, not a stream like you would see down in the lower 48. Think about the Ohio River times two. And there are teams that stretch all the way across that with the drop bags on one side or the other of all of those teams. So security would be very difficult to enforce at checkpoints like that. Another checkpoint that is very similar to that is Yetna Station. And, uh, and there's many others along the way where mushers are spread out in vast distances from where uh, the drop bags are placed. Secondly, uh, I think, and I know I've said this on, on the show here, I think that it's the lack um, collection and registration of the samples by the IPC, whether that's the vets or the P patrol or whoever that is. It's just such a lack collection method. I think that anything is possible. I think um, if we're, we're given, uh, you know, illegally, legally, whatever, I don't think that there is proper protocol or proper evidence handling, shall we say, to be able to prove that that was not a, a bad test, a tainted test, whatever. I think that that is where the issue lies. I think that it was a bad collection method. Who knows, Alex? It could be very possible that uh, some of those samples were mixed. It could be, you know, sample from Team A was mixed with Dallas's team, and the next thing you know, uh, you know, it could be in the middle of the night. I don't remember what time you finished, but it could be in the middle, middle of the night, and you have uh, these folks that are collecting pee, and a sample get mixed with whoever. 
responsibility. There was no chain of custody. There is no chain of command, at least that I'm aware of. And I think that is where the issue lies. And on top of that, I do think that the Iditarod Trail Committee are the ones that uh, do not want to accept responsibility for this. I think they would much rather push the responsibility or the fault or the blame onto someone else. And I do think that that is a major problem with our sport today is when you have a governing body that is solely, solely indebted to their purpose and everything else is sort of secondary, it's like a big corporate machine. And we, when you have those corporate machines rolling, you know exactly what, what is happening. And, and we can think about it in any business in corporate America, how they protect themselves and let their, their customers, their clients, their employees, whomever, fall by the wayside. And, and a, gr- a great example of that is uh, sort of the shakeup in the newspaper industry right here in Anchorage. Uh, they filed bankruptcy. They laid off, you know, half their workforce, and they pretty much said it's either our way or the highway. And uh, unfortunately, the the um, you know the other team sort of lost out. So those are my big thoughts on this. And I'm going to stand behind by saying I think that it was just their lack of protocol, their lack of of control, and their lack of sort of following their own rules is what caused all this. And they, they needed a scapegoat. They needed an outlet. They needed someone to blame. They tried to push it under the rug. There was way too much pushback from not only the uh, Iditarod Finishers Club, the official Iditarod Finishers Club, but also the media, all of the fans, all of the uproar that we talked about at the top of the show, that something had to happen, and unfortunately uh, somebody had to take the fault for it. And that's my thoughts on this anything you would like to add to that yeah you know just that in terms of how we move forward from this it i I do not believe that a musher boycott of iditarod is likely or would or would be all that effective i am not i'm not sure that the idea of the mushers banding together and and starting a new race is is the best idea there's just there's a lot of things that would would have to fall into place for that to to work out successfully. I I do think that someone someone is going to have to take the fall for this and I and it seems like uh, you know the lines have been drawn. So it's either going to be Dallas CV is going to take the fall for this and somehow is going to be uh, someone is going to be able to prove that that he cheated or that he, you know, deliberately did these things that he he adamantly claims he didn't and his fans are, you know, behind him a thousand percent or there's going to have to be big changes in the ITC. And, uh, you know, people have, people have been saying for a long time that, that the ITC is, is, you know, a very closed organization and I don't really know anything about the, the politics of it. I just know that there are a lot of politics in it. So if, you know, if that's the case, then it seems like there would need to be a pretty major shakeup in the ITC, or at least in the ITC leadership, in order to get past this and, and move on. I mentioned this on our previous show when we talked about uh, doping and the mysterious Musher X. That was the title of the episode. I suggested that a, 
some type of union form for the mushers, so they have some type of collective bargaining agreement with the Iditarod. I know that they do have the official Iditarod Finishers Club, but that uh, that is, I think, more of a loose organization. I don't think that they have much more than one seat at the board for that, sort of a, a mushers rep or another sport, sort of like a players rep. I think if they did form a union, they would be allowed to uh, have strength in numbers, you know, right? And, and I know that uh, an article was published with a list of names of these uh, in the finishers club who, you know, stood behind uh, sort of a um, – or a a uh, a movement to say, hey, we want transparency by this time, et cetera, et cetera. And quite a few mushers were in attendance at that meeting, and quite a few signed that uh, that um, I don't know. I want to say regulation, but there's a, there's a different word for it. So I, I think that that should be thought about. And secondly, I, we always compare and contrast other sports to this. And I just keep thinking, Alex, uh, about. Uh, the NFL and Tom Brady and Deflate Gates and how all that went down uh, in the playoffs a few years ago, and how they um, they pretty much threw their poster child uh, of the sport under the bus, and he was eventually suspended by for six games. I believe he served a suspension of four games, and he was absolutely. Uh, you know, preaching his innocence the whole time. I mean, he took it to the federal and all of that, and he proclaimed his innocence the whole time. But the NFL being the NFL did what they thought was right, and they threw their poster boy under the bus. And I think there is such a comparison between those two, between Dallas TV and Iditarod, sort of that poster boy of the sport, and, and Tom Brady, arguably, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the game, very similar to Dallas, has won multiple championships and, and is sort of in the same light, not only in the sport, but to many fans as well. I'm going to give you the last minute, Alex, before we go. Any closing thoughts on this and where do we move forward as a show and how we cover this, uh, this sort of breaking news uh, in, in sort of the offseason of Iditarod? Uh, you know, I – my major my major closing thought is that um you know i want to i want to say again that we don't we don't know dallas cv is probably the only one who knows uh what he did or didn't do um the people in the itc the people who collected the the urine are probably the only ones who know about the chain of custody of of the drug test so um i am i am hoping that we will get more information and this will become clearer. I, I don't like having a war between Dallas and the ITC. I don't think that's helpful for, and I don't think that it's helpful for the fans. And so the sooner that we can, we can clear this up and move forward, the better off we'll be. But uh, at the moment, it does seem like things are going to get worse for the race uh, for at least a little while before they can finally get better. There you have it. Our uh, co-host calling it from California today, our fans perspective of the race, uh, Alex Stein, and I am Robert Forto. We would love to hear you guys' comments, questions, and concerns. You can find us on all social media searching for Dogworks Radio. I can also be found on Twitter by uh, 
finding me at, at Robert Porto and Alex can be found at Coldfoot Films. We will talk to you guys next time. Goodbye. Did you know that Alaska Dog Works trains service dogs for those in need throughout North America? Each and every service dog that is trained through the Lead Dog Service Dog Program and Michelle Ford, a winner team, has an individual training plan. We train for autistic, mobility, psychiatric, and PTSD for our soldiers for service work. If you know of someone that may need a service dog, please take a moment and check out Alaska Dog Works on social media and at alaskadogworks.com. Hi guys, it's Alex from Mushing Radio. I wanted to let you know about something really special we have coming your way soon. Starting in November, we're excited to tell the story of the 1925 Serum Run in depth. We'll be covering this in a serial style format that you won't want to miss. Listen here on Apple Podcasts and be sure to subscribe today to DogWorks Radio so you don't miss a single episode. If you like our podcast, there are a few things you can do. You can take a couple of minutes and go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You can also check out all of our DogWorks Radio sponsors and promotions in our show notes. Another thing you can do is go over to Facebook, like our Facebook page, and one last thing, please tell all of your friends by spreading the word about DogWorks Radio. Thank you so much for listening to us. We really appreciate you. DogWorks Radio is produced by Robert Forto, logo art by Angry Squirrel Studios. DogWorks Radio is produced in conjunction with KVRF 89.7 in Palmer, Alaska. For dog training advice, you can contact Alaska Dog Works at 907-841-1686 or visit their website at alaskadogworks.com. If you have a show idea or would like to be a guest, please contact us by sending an email to live at dogworksradio.com.